We are continuing to churn out our studies of the Ten Commandments. And this morning we arrive at one that I have no doubt affects every single one of us that are in here. It is interesting to me that of the Ten Commandments, two of them deal with the regulation of our speech. The first we come across in Exodus 27, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We should, in our speech, protect the character of God. And now it's going to get more personal because as these commandments get really practical on our human relationships, we read this in Exodus 20:16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Which indicates immediately that we should also be concerned with protecting the reputation and the character of our neighbors. Given how dangerous our words can be, and our words in the New Testament can be very dangerous, so dangerous in fact, that the writer James likens them to a fire and the damage that a fire can do. But all through the New Testament, we are warned to watch what we say. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he warned them about debates. He warned them about backbitings. That doesn't even sound good. Whisperings, which is gossip. He told the church at Galatia that variance, again, that's debates and strife, were acts of the sinful nature. This is what naturally comes to you and to I. This is based in our carnal, fleshly DNA structure of sin, that we are debate-filled and strife-filled. He told the church at Ephesus to get rid of evil speaking, to get rid of malice. Understand, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, and when he wrote to the church at Galatia, and when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he was writing that letter for believers just like us to read. The fact is, our speech can be a great tool for life, or it can be a weapon for death. George Orwell once said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act, which by its very nature indicates to us that as Christians, we should be revolutionaries. Perhaps not in the traditional sense of that understanding, but revolutionaries in the sense that we tell the truth. The whole truth and literally everything that comes out of our mouths is nothing but the truth. In the classic passage in Proverbs chapter 6 about the things that God hates, about the things that God considers to be an abomination that is morally repulsive. I know that as Christians, we look at the lost world and we are quick to point our fingers and to scream and to shout and to preach about abominations, about abominable acts. But I wonder if our understanding of what God deems to be morally repulsive actually measures up with Scripture. Listen to this, the classic passage from Proverbs 6. These six things doth the Lord hate. No real struggle, no vagueness there. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Now, that does not mean that God hates these six or seven sins more than any other. In the Hebrew, when you said these six, yea, seven, it's indicative of the fact that this is not an exhaustive list. But think for just a second about what makes it onto this list of abominations unto God. A proud look. A lying tongue. 
Hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Get this, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Two on that list had to do with the tongue, the lying tongue, and the false witness that speaketh lies. Two of the Ten Commandments have to do with the regulation of our speech. It is scripturally established, the Lord hates lying. I don't want to do anything that the Lord hates. I don't want to do anything that the Lord deems morally repulsive. I don't want to do anything that he says is an abomination. And when I read the list of the Ten Commandments, quickly to my mind, I understand why we should not kill. I understand why we should not commit adultery. I understand why we shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain. But I feel like lying and deceit could be swept under the rug. After all, everybody does it. But in that list, he makes it clear, the Lord hates it. What does the Lord hate? The lying tongue. Why does the Lord hate the lying tongue? Because it mirrors the character of Satan, who Jesus Christ himself in John 8, 44 called the father of lies. He is the father of lies. When he speaks, he always speaks his native dialect, which is that of deceit. Deceit is as old as time, as it were. For when he tempted Eve in the garden, he used deceit. When Adam and Eve capitulated in sin, they hid from the Lord an effort to deceive God. When Cain murdered Abel, God asked him, where is your brother? And he looked right at God and audaciously said, I don't know. He lied. It's natural for us. This is where we are in our world. And God hates the lying tongue. Whatever Satan says is a lie. And yet Jesus Christ always delivered the truth. In fact, he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is truth personified. If the believer left here this service with one goal in mind, and that was to try to, on a practical level, be like Jesus Christ, one of the simplest things they could do is tell the truth because Jesus is the truth. If you want to be like Christ, speak truth. If you want to be like the devil, if you literally want to have a satanic bent in your behavior, live deceptively, tell lies. The Lord hates the lying tongue. The writer in Proverbs 4, 24 says it this way, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. You see, devious speech is not just the big whopper of a lie. The fact is it's manipulating the truth. It's manipulating the truth just to cover our tracks. It's flattering somebody to get our way. And though we enjoy hearing good things about ourselves, flattery is to be avoided as it is deceitful. Not only does the Lord hate the lying tongue in that classic passage, but he says, a false witness that speaketh lies is morally repulsive to me. The Bible says this in Proverbs 19, 22, a poor man is better than a liar. Now, it's not often that we think, you know what, it's just better to be poor. I don't know how often we think in those terms, but God himself said, a poor man is better than a liar, implying don't lie to get gain. Don't lie for profit. It's better to be poor and honest than rich and dishonest. 
Again, the writer of Proverbs says, a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. This defeats the great commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all our soul, and to love our neighbors as well. For we cannot love our neighbors if we are speaking deceit because the lying tongue hates that individual. The flattering mouth intentionally works ruin. It defeats the fulfillment of the great commands. All deception, the liar and the flatterer will ruin lives. Got to begin to ask ourselves, how do we talk about our neighbors? We have to begin to ask ourselves, do we publish people's faults Do we intentionally mute their virtues, thus defeating the principle taught in 1 Corinthians 13? Do we lie? Do we speak half-truths to them and about them to hurt them? Do we elevate ourselves at their expense? You see, the ninth commandment concerns even the name of our neighbors. The very implication in Proverbs 6, a false witness that speaketh lies, is about a witness in a courtroom. It's the exact same word that is used here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. Tell the truth. This is elevating the necessity of telling the truth. It's where we get the tradition of putting our hand on the Bible and swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It is rooted in God's law. Consider just a little bit cultural context for a moment. You ever watched an old movie and you think to yourself, it was just easier to get away with crime in the old days. Back in the 80s, you could just do whatever you wanted. Think about this. The time before there were cameras and they could not record every move that you made. They didn't have the science available for DNA, and they could not process a crime scene like they can today. Well, roll that tape back a whole lot further to Bible times and understand this. If someone were to commit a crime against you or to steal from you, more likely than not, it was probably your neighbor or someone that you knew. It wasn't a very mobile society. You could not call the police and have them step in and intercede on your behalf. What you had to do was you had to go before the village council or elders that sat at the gate of the city and you had to present your argument. You had to communicate your evidence. You had to bring an accusation. Those elders would then decide guilty or innocent and most often the sentence was carried out immediately and the person that brought the accusation was actually more often than not the person who carried out the execution of the sentence even if it was stoning they would cast the first stone. That brings about layered scripture. That's why the Bible says don't hear an accusation unless it is from two or three witnesses and can be established. That's why we saw in the New Testament when Jesus Christ is standing there before the Sanhedrin, they actually pay individuals to come and lie as false witnesses so they could legally execute Jesus. That's why when Jesus has the woman caught in adultery brought before him, the accusers come before him. He writes their sin down and looks at them and says, now he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. It's a special kind of evil to go and accuse somebody falsely. 
But it's next level evil when you knowingly have falsely accused someone and then willingly carry out execution on them by throwing that first stone. And this is communicating to us a heart issue. The ninth commandment immediately refers to false testimony. There's no doubt about it. But just as Jesus said, thou shalt not kill, means don't be angry in your heart toward a brother. Thou shalt not commit adultery, means don't lust after a woman even in your heart. So does this, don't be a false witness in a courtroom, have implications that go far beyond it. And may I say in our day and time, that's for offline and online. And that would be good if this could be applied across the board. Suffice it to say, telling the truth is vital and deception is something that God hates. One great commentator that I enjoy reading broke down a list of the lies of the tongue. And if you came into this room and you were thinking to yourself, as I, explicitly speaking, I have never borne false witness in the courtroom. Thankfully, I've never been on the witness stand in the courtroom. I never want to live that moment. But I assure you of this, though I have never been a false witness in the courtroom, I have certainly been a liar. I have definitely been a deceiver. After all, I pastor. You have to be nice to everybody, even when you don't want it. Do you know how many lies you have to tell? Just to navigate a Sunday morning? You see, now you're making light of sin. I got to let myself off the hook somehow. Here's what I can establish. God hates lies, and now I'm going to build this argument for you. You are a liar. Not me. Yes, you. This commentator broke down nine lies of the tongue. The first was this, the lie of malice. This is the lie to get revenge. This is what I use to get back at someone or something. I distort the truth. I tell an untruth. I'm dishonest so that I can somehow, even if it's only verbally, swing back at somebody. Did you notice in Proverbs 6, in the list of things that God hates that he considers morally repulsive? Right on the heels of saying, I hate a lying tongue, and I hate a false witness that speaks lies against his neighbor, he said, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Psalm 101.5 expands on that just a little. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Even if you slander your neighbor in secret, privately, God says, him will I cut off. That is severe language. I don't know that we fully comprehend how devious that action is. So when the Bible condemns gossip, the Bible is severe enough to condemn that kind of speech which hurts and damages the reputation of others. People often gossip and and when they do so, they go on hearsay or rumor or innuendo or other notoriously unreliable forms of communication. However, even true words can violate the ninth commandment. You say, but if I'm just telling the truth, it doesn't bother anybody. Sometimes what a gossip reports is true, but it's said to the wrong person. It's said with the wrong motive for the wrong reason to injure somebody else. Even if it is the truth, it is not the act of saying it. It is the condition of the heart. Somebody much smarter than me wrote this. Perhaps the one spreading gossip is not lying, but he or she is being untruthful, saying things that are untrue, but in the context of slander is deceitful. The neighbor's mistakes, faults, and shortcomings are discussed in minute detail 
People realize this kind of chatter gets them an attentive audience for it is a universal phenomenon that we would rather hear something bad about our neighbor than something good. And something dirty always sticks long after the conversation has died. Martin Luther said, reputation is something quickly stolen but not quickly returned. I was reading just yesterday that pastors in the United States of America, 40% of pastors are currently considering resigning the ministry, walking away from full-time ministry, 40%. Four out of every 10 exist. We already have a shortage of pastors. You say a shortage, just consider how many you know. Think of 10, how many of them actually deserve to be in the pulpit? Don't put me on that list. Four out of 10 are considering quitting. The ministry. And the number one reason why, in the midst of the great resignation, and it is all across America, 1,500 pastors a month are stepping down. The number one reason, and forgive me if your name is Karen, are the Karens that exist in the church. The pointer dogs that point out all the flaws and the errors that attack and incite violence if it is only Verbally, a reputation is something quickly stolen but not quickly returned. Do you realize how much damage gossip and slander and evil speaking and malice actually carries out? It's such a common sin we actually forget how ungodly it is. But I would say to you, whether it's true or not, before we open our mouths, we should ask, is what I'm about to say true? If it is true, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said to this person? Is it need to be said to this person in this conversation? Would I put it this way if the person I'm talking about was in this conversation and here to listen? If our words fail these simple tests, stop saying it. Didn't your mom teach you if there's nothing nice to say? No, your moms didn't teach you. Don't say anything. In my vernacular, my mom would say, if there's nothing nice to say, shut up. I was raised a little vulgar. A little violence. The only way I've been able to navigate ministry is punch, punch back. That's how it works. Think for just a second. Thomas Watson said, He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. The lie of malice. Not only the lie of malice, there is the lie of fear. This is the lie to escape punishment. We learned this one early on. Did you take a cookie from the cookie jar? No. No, I'm afraid of punishment, and so I lie to protect myself. Born of fear, I lie. You still do it. Has your wife ever said, did you hear what I said? And you said, yes. Because it's easier to try to guess what she said than to say no and immediately get in trouble. It is the lie of fear. There's the lie for profit. Lie to try to get ahead. Now, I could, for the second week in a row, bring in tax returns. But I did a little study and I came up with this concerning resumes in the United States of America. Is anyone trying to tell me, this was in an article, that resumes are truthful? In the America we live in, the willingness to lie on a resume is an indication of how much you want the job. Sadly, this attitude is all too typical. According to a survey of nearly 3 million job applicants, 50% of American resumes contain one or more falsehoods. Half. Now, that's how I got this job. 
But I've been here 18 years, so it's hard to take it back at this point. It is so pervasive. It is so systemic. We don't even think of it as sin like God does. This is an abomination. This is morally repulsive. There is lying by the way of staying silent. Leviticus 5.1 broadens this. It says, And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Now let me apply that. If someone says something about someone that you know and you remain silent, you are a false witness because of your silence. You are complicit in the action, in the deceit. There's the lie of boasting. Now you say, well, mostly kids do this. Ah. Mostly adults do this. This is the lie to impress. This is the name drop. And you know when we really apply this is spiritually speaking. I've been praying all week. Stop. You prayed once at lunch. Ah, I know so and so. I'm going to lie and I'm going to make you think more highly of me. I never do this. There is the lie of exaggeration. This creeps into marriage and the home. So how does it creep into the marriage or the home? We weaponize our words against one another. And a wife will say this to her husband. You never, and that's not true. Because once, back in 2013, he did. Or a husband will say to his wife, you always, and that's not true because she's never wrong. It's really your fault. Always. Think for half a second about how often we are deceitful in our exaggeration. Bring it into the church realm. How many times have you looked at somebody and said, I'll be praying for you, but will you? How many times have you used that simply to escape? There's the lie of insincerity. You might say something like, hey, if you need help, just call me. I'll help you. And as you walk away, you literally are thinking, please don't call me, please don't call me, please don't call me. But it's not a lie because I would actually help if I didn't have something else on the calendar, which is another area in which we lie. I would, except we're busy, are you? You better just tell me you don't want to come. Because if you're making up something on your calendar, now here, this is preaching way too close to me. Pastor, we want to meet with you. I can't. What are you doing? I'm busy. Doing what? Stuff. What stuff? Meetings. With who? Myself and I. That's what I got. A meeting with me, myself, and I. It's a very long one. It's a drawn out thing. I cannot do. The lie of insincerity. We're all guilty of this kind of tragic behavior. There's the lie to self. This is the little conversations that we have with ourselves. We talk ourselves out of doing something right. We talk ourselves into doing something wrong. We lie to ourselves. It's not that bad. You don't have to fix that. It's not your fault. We lie to ourselves. You don't have to adjust. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to say sorry. We lie to ourselves. And perhaps the most tragic of all, we lie to God. Where do I lie to God? The scripture tells us that if we harbor iniquity, if we make space 
for the ship of sin to park in our hearts. And then we go and we pray to God. He says, if you harbor iniquity in your heart, I will not hear you. What he is waiting for is the sin of confession so that he can hear our prayer of need, the prayer of confession so he can hear our prayer of need. Why do we insist on lying to God like there's nothing amiss in here? Why don't we confess? We insist on lying to God. The Lord hates lying. He considers it morally repulsive. You and I are liars. And we arrive back at this truth. Thou shalt not bear false witness. You can't do this. This is not for you, Christian. This is not for me. This is not behavior that we should be carrying out. The reason we're called to be people of the truth is because we serve a truth Telling God. God the Father is truth. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 3, 4. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Which means if anybody ever says something anti that which has been revealed concerning God in Scripture, that individual is a liar and God is telling the truth. Period. God is truth. Jesus is truth. In John chapter 1, where we are introduced to Jesus, we read this in verse 14. And the word was made flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Filled to the very brim with truth. He is truth personified as he said, I am the truth. In response to Pilate, when Jesus was being questioned, Jesus said in John 18, 37, when Pilate asked him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus Christ is full of truth. He is truth personified, and when put under great duress and pressure, he spoke only the truth. God the Holy Spirit is true. In 1 John 4, 6, we read, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is of not, not of God heareth not us. Hereby, this is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Every word in the Bible is true. It's inescapable. It is fact. Every word that God has ever said, including every word on every page of Scripture, is absolutely, unmistakably, entirely, inerrantly true. Here's what the Bible says in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now let's just stop for a second because we're studying the Bible together. Jesus said of the devil... He is the father of lies. We juxtapose that against all that has been revealed in Scripture. God the Father is truth. Jesus Christ is filled to the brim with truth. Truth personified, told the truth always. Never was guile in his mouth. God the Holy Spirit is true. The Word of God is true. You cannot be any more like Jesus Christ than in the moment where you speak the truth and any more satanic than when you and I are guilty of telling lies. In Ephesians 4.25, the Apostle Paul, very succinctly writing to a group of believers, says this in Ephesians 4.25, Wherefore, putting away lying, 
Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You know what put away means? It's not super deep. Don't leave it out where you can see it. Cease from interacting with it. Take it. Put it away. Close the door and don't open the door anymore. To a church which was a good church, which was establishing churches in Asia Minor, which he himself had planted and discipled for years, which was pastored by Timothy, he has to look at those Christians and say, stop lying and start speaking the truth with each other. John Calvin said this, the purpose of this commandment is, since God, who is truth, abhors a lie, we must practice truth without deceit toward one another. Honesty really is the best policy. Now bring that into the church world. You know how hard that is? People will leave here today and they will tell me, that was a good message. And I'm looking at them. They slept through the entire message. In their dream, they heard a good message. Just tell me, listen, I dreamed that was a good one. And I'll be like, thank you. I will just tell them, it was. You didn't dream it. It was a good one. You see somebody and you say, hey, I really like that tie. What are you doing? Flattery worketh ruin. Somebody brings you their baby and you go, oh. They say, do you think my baby is cute? What do you think of my baby? You just go, I don't know. Actually, Eddie Rory told me this morning, he said, what you need to do when somebody brings you a baby that's ugly is you just look at them and you say, I know you're proud. I know you're proud. Because then you're telling the truth. So devious are our hearts. I had somebody else tell me this morning, Pastor, I've learned how to say stuff like, I didn't have a single donut to my wife. I had three, but I didn't have a single donut. We're so good at lying. We are so equipped to deceive. We are so nasty and slanderous. We are so quick to the scandalous. We will strip people of their reputations. Listen, have this as a tenet in your life. Not every conversation has to have negative intonation. Not everyone. Not everybody is worse than you. Be honest, you're worse than a whole lot of people. Just level with yourself. You're pretty rotten. You don't have it all figured out. Stop deceiving each other. In this ninth commandment, God is saying, tell the truth. Don't slander. If we turn it over on the positive side, we see that God is exhorting us to regulate our speech, to be encouragers, to be edifiers, to season our speech with grace and with truth and with kindness and with love. Would it kill you to say something nice and mean it? Some people are too far gone, right? You say, Pastor, you can't say it. I mean, some people, you're just like, as soon as they walk up, you're just shoulders drop. Oh, boy. What did I do now? What am I going to hear now? There's an ancient Greek story involving a young man. I thought this was helpful. The man had said something very harsh about someone else. Later, he discovered that it was untrue, not that that really mattered. He went to his wise teacher and he said, Master, I have spoken harsh words. What can I do to right the wrong? His teacher said, find a sack and fill it with feathers. Then tonight, after everyone has retired, go all around this village and put a feather on each doorstep. The young man was confused, but he did it. He went around that entire village collecting feathers. Then that night, as the sun sank, he went to each doorstep and placed a feather on everyone, not knowing what he was doing or why. When he finished, he went home. He went to bed, 
He got up the next morning and went back to his teacher and he said, Master, I've done what you said, now what do I do? His teacher said, now go get your sack and go back to all the doorsteps and retrieve every feather. The young man said, that's impossible. There's no way I can retrieve every feather. The wind has come up during the night. People have been walking. Animals have been moving. It's impossible. The teacher said, that's exactly the point. Words are very easy to speak. They are impossible to completely retrieve. And the ninth commandment is telling us a plain fact. The Lord hates lying. We are liars and we should not lie. What is required, I think I found a pretty good succinct setup in a catechism. Boy, you don't reference catechisms a lot. Not when you grow up Baptist. But this one's from 1563, so I thought it was safe. You know, Baptists do believe if it's old, it's safe. If it's new, it's dangerous. I think 1563 falls into the safe category. Here's the catechism. The question. What is the aim of the ninth commandment? Answer. That I never give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words. Not gossip or slander. Nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather in court and everywhere else. I should avoid lying. And deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses. And they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love the truth. Speak it candidly. And openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Now we're all doing that. So no need to get anything right. Are you aware that if you have ever spoken one lie, it is sin and God deems it abomination? And the Bible teaches us the wages of sin, the payment for that sin is death. Torment of hell for one lie, it's sin. Fact is, we were all born under the penalty of sin. And yet Jesus, born of a virgin, miraculously, never knew sin, never committed sin. Even when under duress in front of Pilate, he always spoke the truth. And when Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life and shed his blood, he did so to cleanse us from all sins. If we will, because of his great grace, place faith in his finished work, we can be saved. And you cannot save yourself, for we're just a bunch of liars. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.